This week on Three Questions by Corey Kareem. I believe the best lesson is don't do it on your own. Um, whatever, you know, one thing that I've learned is I'm not, I'm not special. Mm. And what that means is there's no thought, no feeling, no journey, no experience that I'll, that I'll go through that somebody else hasn't gone through. All right, welcome back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem, uh, the show where we sit down with some amazing people who are doing some amazing things. And you guessed that we asked them three questions, not about their successes or their wins, though, but rather uh, we unpack their failures and more importantly, the lessons that they learned from their failures. So today's guest is actually a very good friend of mine. I've known him for geez, two decades, I think, probably. Long time. More. <laughs> uh, my guest, my my guest today, he's a real estate broker. Uh, he's an investor, and he's an entrepreneur. Michael Yat, welcome to the show, my brother. How you doing, Corey? Thanks for having me. Did I miss anything there? Is there anything else you want to share, or like, you know? Oh, how how much time we got? <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing, man. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Warning, warning y'all. He's uh, he's he got a lot of bumper sticker phrases, so he can hit you. Yeah, with yeah I do. <laughs> he can hit you with a lot of those. Well, Mike, yeah, um, let's get into it. So today, obviously, uh, I have you on the show because um, you've been an entrepreneur in real estate for several, for probably about a decade at this point, and so you've you've seen a lot and you've experienced a lot, the highs and lows, and. I really feel like a lot of people can learn from the way that you are able to deal with those difficult times and hard times and what you did specifically to maneuver through them and, and get over the hump, if you will. So uh, my first question to you is, as a real estate broker, investor, and entrepreneur, uh, what has been your biggest failure to date? And, and, and tell me about that moment. Well, I mean, in the real estate, in the real estate space, Per se, I mean, there's no. Um, this market is a is a ever evolving market. Uh, every three months, it changes. Um, so your strategies need to change. How you market yourself needs to change. Your audience needs to change. Qualifications change. Government intervention changes. Lenders' expectations changes, and obviously, we know markets change. For the most part, you know they tend to rise up. Um, we haven't really seen drastic changes in the market um maybe 2017 was the last time the market you know softened and didn't grow at a rate that was double digits a year but other than that um this market is pretty consistent in terms of you know I, as you mentioned i've been in this in this real estate space for about a decade now i've been practicing as a licensed broker for just under five years five years will be in july um, but what's made me do is I've learned to be adaptable with every new change that comes up that the government introduces. So, for example, you know, right now, June 1st, a couple of weeks ago, the, there's a new there's a new test called the stress test. And what that means is it gets a lot of people stressed out um, in terms of their ability to afford what they can afford. And essentially, it's shrunk everybody's affordability by. 10 to 15 percent 
So things like this will always come up in the market. And what we typically try to do myself and my team, I also manage an office with 25 agents. And what we try to do is we try to find where the opportunities are. So for example, right now, there's a lot of buyers going into markets overpaying, you know, no, no conditions. So they're weaving financing, weaving inspection, uh, weaving lawyer review because they really want to buy that piece of property. So whatever that means for them, whatever it takes, if they have to spend $200,000, $300,000 over what the market value is, they're, they're comfortable with it. Um, I've never been comfortable with having buyers or individuals that I represent be upside down in their equity, which simply means if the house is worth a million and you're paying 1.2, then you're $200,000 um, upside down. So I've never been a fan of that uh, because things can change in your life. Now, if you're going to be there for 10 plus years, even if you overpay in this market, it's not a big deal because you're going to be there for 10 years. You're going to pay it down. And markets over time typically grow and markets over time uh, typically make money. But what I've done, and I started this in 2017, was looking for what we call builder inventory. So we'll go to new construction sales sites that maybe um, that are brand new, never lived in, still under construction, but they'll be ready in about six months to a year. Um, and then we'll go there directly with the builder. Usually the terms are favorable because um, the builder has already sold out 90% of the of the project. The last 10%, you know, they'll give you special incentives, special terms, um, and they'll allow you to get into the market brand new and still be able to ride um and still be able to write growth. So in, in my space, when it, when it comes to dealing with failure, it's really simply about how quickly could you pivot? How quickly could you, you know, revisit your strategy? Um, and how quickly could you adapt? You know, when, when COVID started, for example, I paused for three months because I, I mean, no one really knew which way the market was, was going to go. Right. I mean, no one knew Toronto would end up being as resilient as, you know, as, as we've seen it, as we've seen it become. But I just, in that moment, I said, you know what, let me pause for a few weeks. Let me restructure some things in my life. And then let me come back, revisit the market, because this is not going to be the first and it's not going to be the last that something happens to shock the market and to shock uh, buyers and sellers as well. Right. So let's get really specific. Um, through your journey as an entrepreneur in general, tell me about a time when things weren't really going your way, when everything just mm -hmm. seemed to be... You know, falling apart. Yeah, nothing seemed to be working at all. Yeah. Yeah. What did you do to get over it and and ultimately through it? Well, the first thing is I buried those feelings and those memories deep, deep down in the vault somewhere, uh, so I don't have to revisit them. Mm. Uh, however, I mean, be, being an athlete actually helped prepare me um, for a lot of the journey and the roller coaster of entrepreneurship because you're. And when I say entrepreneurship, you know, it's not this big, grand, mystical thing. Um, and I'm talking to anybody self-employed, business owners, you know, entrepreneurs in a traditional sense, um, solopreneurs, however, you know, however you want to, Crazy. you know, however you want to group all those individuals. Yeah. But I mean, being an athlete definitely helped prepared me, um, helped prepared me for that journey with the mindset, just understanding that you got to make sacrifices, it's going to be a long it's a long play. Um, you, you have a lot of people trying to go through a very narrow door. Most of them will not last. 
Uh, and it's not really because of either the product or the market. Most people just won't last because most people just don't last in anything. You know, it's a, it always sounds like a good idea to um, learn a new skill, like playing basketball or golfing, until you see how much effort and work goes into it. And, you know, for most people, you know, they're not that serious about making those type of sacrifices when it comes to those things. So I learned that very early on in my journey. Um, and I also kind of visit the whole failure notion and failure culture more so about, I look at it more so as a perspective thing, which is, I know, one of your favorite words, but I, I find most people just don't, don't give anything enough time. So it's easy to label it as a, as a failure, but you just, mm. you just didn't give it enough time. You know, I mean, every, everybody overestimates what they'll do in one year, but grossly underestimates what they'll do in five. So I've always looked at everything that if I'm going to jump into something, if I'm not willing to give this a minimum three to five years, then I don't even sign up for it, no matter how great it is. But I just know myself that if I'm going to, if I'm learning something, this person who's either teaching it or who's mastered it or who I'm following or, you know, what I'm watching YouTube videos to kind of learn about the space. If I'm not committed to it, to really buckle down and learn what you know whoever these teachers are then i would just rather say no to it um because i know i'm not going to get the results that i want and it's going to end up you know I'll end up going into like a mini depression or something you know blaming myself or social media. The, yeah well i mean i mean social media doesn't bother me because we were we're a little bit older we're like at the we're like the oldest of the millennials right so it didn't really bite it doesn't really bite us as much as somebody who is maybe 20, 25. Uh, but I mean, absolutely, it does. You can get lost in the in the grass is greener, you know, comparing uh, type of notion, you know. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, that wasn't as evident as it is in, in our culture growing up as it is, you know, for the culture that is growing up now. But yeah, but I mean, num number one is I think most people just don't give enough time. And number two, you know, just because you, you can, if you quit something, it doesn't really mean that you fail. It just means that, that you, that you quit. And I think most people mix those two things up with failure. When I hear a lot of conversations about failure, to me, really is a matter of two things. Either you haven't put enough time into it, or you just ended up quitting. And there are times where, yes, we will fail at something, you know, but, you know, I have a stubborn attitude, kind of like how Michael Jordan says, you know, I never lost a game. I only ran out of time. <laughs> you know, so I've, so, you know, that's a, it could be perceived as an arrogant way to look at things, but I'm, but I'm convinced even, you know, I tell myself that all the time, even when I, I stopped playing soccer at 24, like competitively, like super competitively. Yeah. And because at, at 24, I figured, man, I'm not, I don't have enough years left and enough legs left to really, to really play and run. So I stopped playing. Now did I fail? Did I quit? You know, you know, I'll let people kind of decide and label that. But the, but those yeah those two things either timing or you making a decision that you're going to stop something doesn't necessarily account it to being failure. No, that's a great perspective, and the reason why I throw up the two because I was like your second bumper sticker, so I'm I'm keeping track. Oh, oh you the Michael Jordan one. Um, I've I've never heard I've never heard that term bumper sticker. You know, so that's, I I recently heard it, but it, you understand what I mean. But I get it. But I get it. Yeah, I get it. I get but, it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a few things that you hit on that 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 just resonates so well and it reminds me of that 
that uh, real, not real estate, um, investing uh, kind of quote, it says, you know, it's not your timing in the market, it's your time in the market. It's kind of that right. traditional philosophy when it comes to investing, which relates to exactly what you were saying. People just don't put in enough time. And then you also use the word commitment. And your philosophy is, if I, if I see an opportunity and I know that I'm not going to put three to five years in it, then I stay away from it for the most part. And I think most people don't have that type of perspective, partly so because of the conditions of our environment where you can have everything done in like a minute and seconds, everything's an app away or a couple of clicks yeah. away. It's conditioned us to have immediate results, right? And then the whole social media thing, the reason why I brought that up is because social media is a highlight reel. And you got to remember, like, for most of us, seeing is believing. So if you're mm-hmm. on your Instagram and everyone's winning, 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 and your life doesn't seem to be going that way, you're going to think mm-hmm. something is wrong with you, which leads me to correct, your other correct. point where you talked about the comparison thing. And we know that how that works. And I remember uh, Greg Provisano said, you know, comp- when you compare yourself to somebody that you believe is doing better than you, you're going to feel worse about yourself than you should be. And when you compare yourself to somebody that you believe that you're doing better than, you're going to feel better about the better. Yourself than you should be. So, yeah. you, you know what I mean? But um, all great points, uh, by the way. Um, so going on to the, to the second question, um, getting more onto real estate. So in today's world, it seems like everybody on their mom is a damn near agent of some sort, right? Broker, <laughs> agent, whatever. <laughs> Uh, with that in mind, what are some misconceptions about being a realtor or being in the real estate industry itself? Well, I mean, let's I mean, let's let's look at it by the numbers. I think you have about 50 plus thousand agents in Ontario. Um, so, yeah, nearly everybody and their grandmother is one, <laughs> you know, in that in in what that with those kind of numbers. And I think the space will continue to grow. Um, I'm not naive to the space. When I when I got started, you know, my notions were kind of the same thing. And, and you pushed me and helped push me to get um, more serious with it. Because at the time, I was simply, you know, I was uh, I was an outsider. I was investing, you know, the little amount of capital that I had. I was doing joint ventures with some partners so that we could invest and buy more and to qualify for more. I was assigning contracts which is when you buy something pre-construction, you flip your contract before it's sold. So I was doing, I was involved in different types of activities, uh, more real estate, but I wasn't necessarily licensed myself. So I didn't really feel like there was a need um, for me to get licensed. I, be- I believe that I could have achieved what I wanted to do um, in real estate without necessarily having a license to practice. Um, but there was a few reasons why I wanted to do it. One, I wanted the education in the traditional sense. B, I wanted the access because the, the real estate boards across the world are some of the most like controlling um, um, institutions that there, that there is. Like they lobby really, really hard um, to protect their interests and to protect their rights, to protect buyers from fraudulent activities, to protect realtors from compliance and insurance related you know activities because you're dealing with you know tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in in deposits in one given time um so there were the, the back end of it i wanted to be able to see and to be able to learn so i believe it would have 
made me a better investor. So that was my that was my uh, first notion and thinking behind it. My second notion is that by the time I decided to get licensed, I had referred over 30 people to who was a friend of mine who was a real estate broker. So I just did the math and I just, you know, kind of what 30 deals made meant. And, and this is over a period of about three years. It wasn't, it wasn't in one year, but I mean, it wasn't bad, you know, three, 30 deals, three years that I referred. So I said, look, at this point, the math makes sense. And I'm a very pragmatic person. I don't jump into spaces unless, or do things because the hype is there or the, um, you know, or there's a buzz or there's a lot of noise. You know, I'm going to give you another bumper sticker. You know, my favorite things that, that I've heard from Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and Bill Gates' dad. They were all in, a, in an interview and someone asked them, you know, what the most important skill is to win in business, life, entrepreneur. And they all, the three of them responded at the same time. They all said focus. Mm. And for me, I just know, as, as I mentioned before, you know, a lot of, you know, multitasking is not my, my strongest point. You know, and you can multitask, but you can't multifocus. Mm. So for myself, when I decided to jump in, I knew that I had to give something up because, you know, there's only so much time in the day that that I could give to commit to um, that I could commit to a new venture. So I was willing to, I was willing to give something up and I was willing to give up job security. I was willing to give up a career. And, you know, um, I was working sales downtown Toronto um, for a Fortune 500 company. And I, and I was okay. I mean, I wasn't making, you know, I was averaging maybe 70 to, depending on the year, 70 to 90,000 a year. So I, I was doing okay. I was comfortable. You know, there was no real need for me to, to change what I was doing. Uh, but then eventually, you know, I decided what I've always wanted, you know, because I've tried different ventures before that haven't panned out i wouldn't necessarily say that we failed in it um they just didn't work out for a different reason um the first venture i did was in 2008 we myself and my partner mitch i'm not sure if you remember uh you know there's a gentleman i was partnered with you know but we started a media marketing company in 2008 which was a time where nobody is buying or brands aren't buying um advertising to the degree that they were in previous years because we were now hit with, recession. you know, what was then, you know, a great recession. So, so we closed up that venture and we pursued other things, but, you know, like I, I wouldn't necessarily look at that as, as a failure, which is our, our timing was off, you know, and we just didn't have enough, you know, we just didn't have enough um, uh, gas in the tank to really, you know, burn through our reserves to really ride it out. Cause no one really knew um, what that time period uh, what you know what that time period looks like but you know going back to to what we were speaking about initially when it comes to you know when it comes to the to the real estate space you know i i made a decision to focus on a on a very small niche at the time which was i said look there's fifty thousand people i need a competitive advantage anybody i go and i talk to they're either going to probably know more about real estate than me especially if they already own a home or they own a condo and I have to really bring something that that they've never seen or heard before. I have to do some kind of new new trick and and new dance. So I led with pre-construction, which was, you know, the ability to um, look at a, a potential site 
that has been zoned and approved that will be built up in three to four years that's going to bring and change a dynamic of residential, office, retail, parks, schools, you know, that's really going to transform an area and really give it life. Kind of like if you look at square one 10 years ago to where square one is today, you know, there's a master plan that was developed. So I wanted to be part of that initial phase of, you know, these uh, communities that were site plan approved or master plan approved to be these greater visions, like once they were built and to study, you know, the developers, to study the floor plans, to study the, you know, what kind of buyers buy those kind of products. How do they exit from those kind of products? You know, do they rent them out? Do they sell them once they're built? You know, or do they flip their contracts in between? You know, what are, what are all the intricacies of that? So I wanted to focus on a niche because um, it will allow me to really have a product differentiation from just everybody else. So that's kind of my answer is to, if you're coming into this space and, you know, A, I, and I tell the individuals that are part of my team, like, don't be, let's, don't, let's not be naive about this industry uh, and the protectionism that goes on in this industry, because that's what happened to Airbnb and and, uh, and uh, Uber, or that's what happened to the taxi industry and the hotel industry. Mm-hmm. They were so far ahead that they thought that they were untouchable. And then, you know, some kids from California in a basement somewhere, you know, put together some applications and now, you know, completely revolutionized you know, the way we look at those two sectors. So I believe, you know, and there's been many attempts, real estate is going to go through some transformation for those individuals that maybe don't have that specialty, whether it be commercial real estate, uh, luxury real estate, um, or, you know, like myself in that niche, those individuals are going to be competing with a lot of other individuals or, you know, like I work for DreamMaker uh, Realty. We also develop real estate as well, you know, townhomes, condos. So we have different things that gives us, um, you know, a product differentiation and Mm -hmm. allows us to really bring true value to the market. And I think that's what anybody who's looking to get into this space, you know, don't come look at what you can do in your neighborhood because there's already two, three people that dominate your area that you live in. Right. Um, maybe even five to 10 people. So find that niche that you want to focus on. Uh, maybe it's, you know, I don't know. Um, uh, what do you call it? Tiny homes. Mm. You know, we don't have that kind of revolution in Canada yet, but I'm sure those things are coming. No, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And so from a, from a consumer perspective, um, what would you, what are some of the common misconceptions or common mistakes you see both buyers and sellers make? in the real estate industry? Well, buyers simply aren't, aren't prepared um, or they're thinking they're in control, which is, you know, they can dictate how much they pay, what type of conditions they put, how long those conditions are. Um, um, and they're, you know, and this is not true for all buyers. I believe buyers, you know, typically, go through kind of um, a realization phase mm-hmm. where they kind of, you know, they want to buy real estate. You know, they, they set a goal. We're going to buy real estate. We have thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 in savings. Um, I'm, let me connect with a realtor. My first thing with any, and I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago with any prospective buyers is, are you, are you pre-approved? 
Have you sat down with a mortgage professional? Have they looked at your TDS, GDS ratios, which are simply your debt service ratios and your total debt service ratios? How much debt to income do you produce or yourself, your partner or partners? You know, how many people are being added to, to a title? So like there's, they don't do the work before they start going looking at property. Because what you think you can afford versus what you can actually comfortably afford with cash flow are two completely different things. Mm. Um, for most buyers today, not most buyers, but there's a good segment of buyers today, especially let's say, you know, uh, under 40 years old, that a lot of help has to come from mom and dad, the bank of mom and dad, simply because if you're going to be going into a market like this, where the average price of a home is near damn a hundred, sorry, a million dollars in the GTA, even if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, um, with your partner each making a hundred thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. it's still very, very hard to qualify, you know, to be able to buy, you know, that dream home that you've always envisioned. Um, and then what typically happens is mom and dad come in and and uh, mom and dad help, you know, they refinance because the benefit of anybody in this market, if, if you've owned anything over the last 10 years, then you've seen a tremendous amount of wealth being built, right. um, you know, over the years. So it's easy to tap into it and to, you know, and to get that kind of support. Right. But for those people who don't have mom and dad, what I always tell them, look, is, you know, keep your, because right now there's a good chance you have a roof over your head. So either you, you live at home, mm-hmm. you live, and maybe you're renting a basement apartment um, or you're sharing, you know, a room with a roommate and it's not the most ideal situation that you want to be in. But I always advise people to keep their situation the same and buy an investment property based on what they can afford. So meaning that, you know, and I meet a, a ton of people that are, you know, they're, they send maybe a thousand to twelve hundred dollars a month in terms of living costs. And they want to buy a condo that's, let's say, $500,000, putting down the minimum, which is 5%, so Mm $25,000. You know, that's still going to run you about $2,400 a month Mm -hmm. in terms of monthly payments, which includes principal and and interest, property taxes, maintenance fees. Insurance. Most likely it's a condo. Insurance, right? Uh, Utilities Mm -hmm. that you have to now take on as well. So you're going to double your cost of living if you make this move versus if you just buy that as an investment property, we can probably rent it out for $2,200, $2,300 a month. You're going to be losing money every month mm-hmm. in terms of cash flow. Let's say $400 a month. Mm-hmm. Add that $400 a month with $1,000 a month you pay in your basement apartment or mm-hmm. split in with your roommate. Your overall cost is fourteen hundred dollars a month. Way better than the situation if you were to move in there. Right. If you wait two years, what we've seen in the GTA is condos typically appreciate anywhere from seven to ten percent a year. So if we take the low low end of that and we say thirty thousand dollars a year appreciation over three years, you've grossed over ninety thousand yeah. dollars. You've lost three hundred dollars a month in cash flow, which is over three years, less than $10,000. To me, that math makes a lot more sense. So I always tell people, buy what you can afford, but buy it in where the fundamentals make sense. 
Right, right. You know, the uh, fundamentals being transit, work, hospitals, where companies are spending uh, money, where there's universities, you know, where there's um, Amazon and Netflix and all these tech companies, where they're moving to. Those are where fundamentally you want to be investing your money because you'll always do well. Right. Well, sound advice. <clears throat> I was going to ask you about sellers, but I felt like you gave so much there. Um, but uh, no, that was well, really good. Well, se- sellers is very sellers is very simple. I mean, sellers always think they know everything. Sellers always believe they know their market and their the value of their home better than a professional. So I won't even go into the ideologies of sellers, but I'll just use a very simple recent example. So I met. I was going to put a property on the market and I wanted to list it for about 650000 But there was another seller who sold it on a, on, on a zone, which is an FSBO for sell by owner. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, he didn't want to use a realtor for whatever reason he believed. He knew how to market and sell this, this property better. He sold it for 590000 Pat himself on the back, you know, because he saved maybe, let's say, 25000 in commissions. Now, the property that I marketed and listed sold it for over 650000 mm-hmm. Commissions were paid of, let's say, about 30000 mm-hmm. but the, my seller netted 30000 more in the for sale by owner. So I think sellers get really consumed in the notion of, I don't want to pay a professional, um, especially in a market where it's a seller's market, so you believe it even more that you know, as a seller, you know how to market and sell your uh, property better than than the professional. And yes, there are a lot of professionals that don't add and bring a lot of value or differentiate the value, you know, the value that they that they bring. Um, but in terms of a seller, it's you know, even myself, there's markets that I go into and I hire a real estate agent because it's in my best interest because I don't know that developer and I've never worked with that sales company. So I'll sometimes broker and do a referral with another real estate agency because I know they just can net me a better um, net gain than what I would do on my own. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my little tidbit in terms of sellers. No, that's good. That's uh, that's definitely, you can see how you have a very strategic mindset and something I think a lot of people looking to get into this space should seriously consider. Uh, so let's get to the last question. Um, what is the best lesson you believe you've learned from from failing thus far? Um, I believe the best lesson is don't do it on your own. Um, whatever you know, one thing that I've learned is I'm not I'm not special. Mm. And what that means is there's no thought, no feeling, no journey, no experience. That I'll, that I'll go through that somebody else hasn't gone through. And with the, the one of the fortunate things of living in this era is we have access to so much information. I mean, you could really get a university degree sitting at home online, you know, studying certain subjects, either on YouTube, you know, credible sources on Google. I think that's important to, that's important to note because everybody just throws mm-hmm. these different sources out. Mm-hmm. Especially when you look at how, you know, everything with like vaccines and yeah. everything has been handled over the last year. So I think credible sources is very, very important. Well, you can literally, you know, shrink your learning curve drastically. You know, everything that I've, and I learned this very, very early from athletics. Because I started playing soccer at 14 years old, which is pretty late. 
but by the time I was 21, you know, I played with, you know, in my age group, probably some of the best players across Canada or against some of the best players across Canada. So I was, I was always in an environment where I was never the best in any particular skill or craft. So I had plenty of room in terms of growth, uh, growth and I had a shorter learning curve because I was always surrounded with individuals that have been doing and have done this, you know, longer than I have. And same thing with my real estate business. You know, part of the reason why I joined was, you know, I had a, I had a friend that by the time, you know, um, we, I was 23, he was 24. He had already become a millionaire in, in uh, real estate. So I'm not going to go learn this on my own, pounding the pavement, losing years in terms of time to try to figure this out. You know, I'll rather team up and team up means sometimes I'll, I'll have to pay to get that kind of access and that learning. Um, I'll get that kind of access and that, and that kind of learning um, that will allow me to shortchange, you know, sorry, um, to have a shorter lifespan in terms of my failures. And even now, like I'm learning how to golf. I've been golfing for about a year. But the first thing I said was most golfers that I spoke to that have golfed for years, most of them still can't golf because they, they go to the golf, you know, they play two, three rounds a year and they play with the same group of golfers that are kind of like average and mediocre. But, you know, my first season golfing last year, I played with guys that had a single digit handicap, which is like really, really good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was in a tournament yesterday playing with those same group of individuals because on every shot, they teach me something. Mm-hmm. I learned something, you know, how to position my, whatever it be my hand, my wrist, my shoulder, my footwork. So my learning is always accelerated. Um, and for me, you know, three to five years is when I start to really look and gauge, you know, my results when it comes, when it comes to anything. And I also, as I said, you know, for anybody getting started in something, uh, give it, you know, give it some time and surround yourself around people who have done it and get your ego out of the way. Um, get your ego out of the way because it's, if you really have a big goal and a big reason why you want to, you want to do something, then, you know, a lot of people just have too much pride, mainly, and I'm talking mainly men as well. Mm. Uh, women still seem to have an easier, um, easier role with this, but men, you know, men are just so proud and it, and it, and it hinders them a lot. It really does. It's sad to see. Yeah. You know, you hit it right. And, you know, to, to J. Cole's song, Pride is a Killer. And I feel like I, I would also add to that. I would, pride is useful in some areas. I think, if you think about it culturally, there's some cultures that take a an exceptional pride in, let's say, education. That yeah. to me is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be toxic yeah. if it gets a little bit correct, too correct. If you want your son or daughter to have, you know, 99% in all yeah, grades, that's, that's a little crazy. But to take pride in mm-hmm. education, generally speaking, is not a bad thing. Whereas taking pride in, let's say, more material things, we can see how that could be negative and and mm-hmm pay in in not so positive way so i definitely hear you on uh the pride factor for sure but uh mike where can people find you if they're looking to buy a home or they're looking to invest what's the best way to reach you uh ig probably be the best place uh at mike yats so very very simple at mike yats you can find me on on ig 
Um, and then once things open up, you know, I'll be, I'll be all over the city. So I'll be, you know, anywhere that will allow us to get people together, myself, my partner, um, Aaron Charles, you know, we've been put, putting together master classes. So master class we're doing, I believe our next one is June, uh, last Saturday of June. So we'll be hosting master class, which is where we educate individuals on all the different aspects of real estate so we go into commercial multifamily um resell pre-construction and we help individuals map out a game plan based on their needs um to be able to uh find the best suitable solution for them so we'll be we had our first we're doing a three-part series we had one the end of may we have one the last saturday of june um if you go on my ig i believe the 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 story and the details of that are there right now and then we're going to have a third series end of july and that will also be the last saturday of, of july so you can find me on social for the most part awesome well mr yat mike yat mikey yat michael yat all your names that the people call you <laughs> thank you for blessing us Sorry, man thanks for hosting appreciate thank it no worries thank it. You. Get, get outside Enjoy, enjoy that nice patio of yours. Yeah, I'll try, man. But thank you for blessing us with your time and your presence and your, your words of wisdom. And guys, as you like thank to you. know, I always like to end with this saying, um, if you want to impress people, talk about your wins, your successes, the things you've got, your, things you accomplished. But if you really want to have an impact on someone else's life, uh, talk about your failures, your losses, the things that you, you got, got through that made you who you are today. That's how you impact somebody's life. So with that being said, peace and love, guys. We are out. Well, welcome to the-